0: I'm going to be talking about love in action. We've been looking at the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. The church in Rome, which was a collection of tiny little groups that met in homes, a church that had diverse ethnic backgrounds, that had diverse socioeconomic backgrounds, a church that was suffering actual persecution or always threatened persecution A church that was viewed with suspicion by everybody who looked at it. And he wrote them a letter. Uh, And for the first part of the letter that we've been looking at, he wrote about the amazing thing that God had done. He wrote about the state that man was in, which is pretty rotten. He wrote about uh, Jesus, Jesus' life, and his death on the cross and his resurrection and he wrote about what that has done for people what that can do for people about salvation if you don't know that story if you don't know anything about that or if you haven't experienced it then grab somebody either now and take them out in the foyer or later and ask them because they will tell you they will fit it in And then Paul gets to this bit in the letter. It's not really a chapter because there wouldn't have been numbers and chapters. You don't do that in letters. He gets to this bit of the letter and it's like the whole letter turns and looks in a different direction and he says, if God has done this for us, what should our response be? How then should we live? And uh, at the beginning of chapter 12, Verses one and two, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, that's the general men, women, everybody, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And the the word appeal is really strong. It's not just I'm going to ask it ever so nicely and politely if you fancy it. It's a kind of gut-wrenching, visceral pleading to present our bodies, because this letter's come down to us. It wasn't just for the church in Rome. It was for us. To present our bodies as a living sacrifice as a response to what God has done. And he says, this is your worship. This is what worship looks like. And Paul, throughout a lot of the letters that he wrote to a lot of the churches at the time, has this theme running that says, if what God has done in you is real, then I will see in your lives this kind of thing. He's not saying you have to get it right to be acceptable to God. He's saying if you've accepted what God's done for you, then you cannot help but live like this. And that's what worship looks like. And I've called it love in action. Presenting our bodies as a spiritual sacrifice is is love in action. So hopefully we're going to look at some of the practical applications of that, which we've had many examples of this morning. We're going to look at what gets in the way of us doing that. And then we're going to look at how do we access the power to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So, our response uh, to what God has done is to be living sacrifices. Now, there used to be sacrifices at the time in, Jewish, in the Jewish temple of dead animals. Daily. All the time. It was a way of trying to get right with God. And then the Bible tells us very clearly that that stopped. We don't need it anymore because Jesus has done it. Finished. So Paul's not talking about a sacrifice to make us right with God. What he's talking about is us climbing on the altar. Us climbing on the altar. And I found a a quote. It says, a dead animal can't make people right with God. Um, The sacrifice God looks for now is no longer that of a beast or a bird in the temple but the daily commitment of a life lived within the constraints and relationship of this world. The life of the everyday, the much more demanding work of human relationships in everyday life. It would actually be much easier to pop down to meat masters, buy a turkey, stick it on the altar and say, job done till tomorrow, than it would to live out day after day with all the people we meet and in all the situations we find ourselves, to live it out as living sacrifices. It is, in fact, to be a living sacrifice to put all that we are and all that we have at God's disposal every day. All that we have and all that we are at God's disposal every day. Now, the thing about dead sacrifices is they tend to stay put. The thing about living sacrifices is they get off the altar and walk away. Well, this one does anyway. You might not. You all look a bit holy. Um, I start to think, well, I'll tell you what's happened to me recently. Everybody's just said that Keith is retiring as of more or less today his last paycheck drops into the account at the end of November um I found myself becoming well not I've not liked what's been happening I've started to think to myself well we've done our bit all these years it's somebody else's turn now we've done this and that and the other we've done this serving thing we've Somebody else's turn. Well, do you know, in some places that might be true. It's somebody else's turn to get paid for a start. It's somebody else's turn to do some of the bits and bobs. It's time we got out the way. It's, It's the next generation. But you know what? It is not somebody else's turn to live as a living sacrifice. That will never end. There is no retiring from the living sacrifice bit. And God's given me a bit of a going over, largely when I was preparing this, I have to say. My time, no. My money, no. My house, no. My relationships, no. My ambitions, my hopes, my dreams, no. All that I am and all that I have at God's disposal every day, What do living sacrifices look like? Well, just a few things from this chapter 12. Living sacrifices, I would suggest, are always part of a body or a family, which is known as a church. And we saw it. We saw Irene and Peter and John and Lou talking about what it had been like to be part of this body, talking about walking with Yahya when he was Uh, on his way to the Lord, talking about practical help, talking about prayer, talking about discipling as a student, talking about being part of a body. You know, I've met people who say, me and Jesus are great. I don't need anybody else. Well, they're lying. It's not true. There's no such thing as just me and Jesus trundling along happily in the world. Jesus called us to be a body, and to be a family. And the church is a body that is fitted and joined together uh, with every bit in contact with something else. Um, I don't know about you, but, but I, uh, I get creaky at the joints sometimes. And the more I don't use them, the creakier I get. If I use those joints, they start to move more easily. If we put ourselves on the edges of the body and the edges of the family, we will get really creaky joints. If we put ourselves with other people in the church, in the body, and we exercise those joints, the movement will be so much easier, so much better. We've all got to ask ourselves, I think, where does it work out practically for us? Where are we jointed into this body? We have great groups called missional communities that meet together. You know, Sunday's wonderful, and I love meeting together on a Sunday. But you get the real contact when you meet with a smaller group of people in homes, doing things together, drawing in maybe friends that don't know Jesus yet. Eating together, oh, we're going to come on to that. Going for a walk together. Talking about things. Praying, laughing, crying. So, if you don't know about our small groups, or you do know about them, but you just haven't fancied the look of them, just remember find a joint. It might creak a bit in the beginning. But the more you use it, the easier it will be. There's a lot of places in the body to serve. I'm not going to talk about this week because I think Steve's going to talk about that next week. So we'll put that one on hold. I found another great quote. Oh, sorry, I'm running ahead of myself. So ask yourself, where do I connect? What can I do practically? Because there is no such thing as an independent Christian. Only in the countries where there have to be, because there aren't any others. And those people would literally die to have the opportunities that we have. So living sacrifices are part of a body. Living sacrifices are characterized by their love. Love is not a slushy feeling. Bubbles. I found a great quote. There is no love except in relation to specific neighbors. Love is not something that can be perfect in itself without being given and shaped in concrete encounters. Love is always specific, always costly, and always miraculous. Sometimes, you know, we need to act right before the feeling comes. There was a great song around a few years ago by a guy called Don Francisco, which called... Did we talk about this when we did Marriage prep? Love is not a feeling, it's an act of the will, it used to be called. And it's true. Sometimes, you know, there are those really awkward, tricky people. There are people we've had an argument with. We've The relationship's somehow gone sour, and we don't want to say sorry, and we don't feel all warm and fuzzy about them. But love says, we go and put it right, love says, I am sorry for my part in this thing going wrong. Love says... You might not be the most popular person in my college or my workplace, but I will sit and have coffee with you. I don't want to. I want to go where the cool people are. And when we, the more we act right, I think, well, I found this, the more I act right, the more I find that love follows. Love kind of comes pouring into the space I make by acting Right. Living sacrifices, a body characterized by love and taking action. I have so many good intentions. It was great that Steve said about good intentions, about upping things and good intentions. But living sacrifices will take actions. Um, Paul talks about two specific actions in this chapter, this bit of the letter. He talks about money. Money. And I'm not going to say much about money because Steve said it. You know, tithing is this principle of 10%. Basically, it's a no-brainer place where we start. Tithing is the body giving to the body for the good of the body. Tithing is enlightened self-interest. Really, to be honest. Um, and after tithing comes specific gifts. Specific gifts to things like the mortgage or um, specific people in need. And then we have in our church, I just want to mention these, there's a pile of photographs, um, Erica, fabulous. These are people from our church, It's not an exhaustive collection, who work overseas. They're cross-cultural workers in different countries of the world. And they are all there because their heart and their passion is to take the good news of Jesus to people who don't know it yet. And they are a collection of what living sacrifices can look like for some people. Not everybody's called to do this. Uh, They are inspirational. If you don't know any of them, ask me about them and we can put you in touch. Their lives are inspirational. Um, They have, several of them, taken a massive hit to their finances post-Brexit because the pound has gone through the floor. So 25% of some of these guys' incomes has been wiped out. If you're looking for some places to give, that could be somewhere, over and above. Just some examples. And then there's a suffering church, the church in Syria and Iraq, and there are people like Tearfund. Is Angus here today, Elizabeth? No, Angus read can tell you about T-Fund because he was until recently working with um, Open Doors. He was working with Open Doors. Sorry, there are people like Open Doors uh, who work, do a lot of work into um, persecuted Christian and, and who know the financial need that those people have. And with Christmas coming up, there are lots of places whereby you can buy Christmas gifts on somebody else's behalf and the money will actually go to the persecuted church. There was a great missionary called Amy Carmichael who uh, went to India to take the good news to India. And she served there for 55 years without a home leave trip, not by going. And she said, it is possible to give without loving, but it is impossible to love without it causing us to give. Giving is a response to what God has done for us. The second thing that Paul talks about specifically is the gift of hospitality, and again, we've, we've heard about it from what Irene was saying. This is open lives. We have a strapline at the minute, open heaven, open lives. Open lives are hospitable lives. You know what? People tell me they haven't got time to be hospitable. And I do know that lives are busy, but we all eat. I mean, we all have a meal sometime. So all you have to do is cook double and invite two people. And then after the meal, say, sorry, I've got to do something else. You don't have to make it complicated. Take a student out for a muffin. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Cook double Sunday lunch and see who you can rake around at church. There's always somebody looking hungry. It doesn't have to be complicated or perfect or tidy or wonderful. Not to make us look good, just... Look around and see if there's anybody you've met. We ended up, I ended up last week. I was speaking on the... No, week before speaking on the Lees and there was a, a girl there who hadn't been before and I gave her a lift home because she lived. And I knew as I drove her home. I just knew. I just knew. I really, really wanted a quiet afternoon. We got two more things to happen before the end of the day and I just wanted to go home. And I, but I knew what God was saying. And I said, do you fancy coming for lunch? <laughs> she said, oh, yes, please. Uh, And then all the time I was cooking, she was plying me with theological questions that were really, really complicated. Like, where in the Bible does it talk about the Trinity? And I'm going, (laughs) I don't don't know, I'm just chopping onions. (sighs) Um, Look around at people who do this well. And get close, see if it rubs off. Nick and Lou, I don't know where Nick and Lou are. They're probably doing some serving or another Nick and Lou notionally have spare rooms in their house, but I've never very often known it to have a spacing because usually it's got somebody living in it who they just happen to have found who needs a house for a couple of weeks. Or They are extraordinary. Um, Mike Carter, my brilliant friend Mike Carter, who's back visiting from Cornwall, has a, has a story of when he was working in Zambia and one of the uh, Zambian uh, church members... Their house was burnt down and they lost everything. And so uh, the, the church collected some money, bought pots. and I mean, we're not talking luxury here. We're talking pots and pans and bowls and buckets. That's right, isn't it, Mike? And Mike went and delivered this to this poor guy who had lost everything. And uh, he went off and said, just, just a minute, just a minute, and he disappeared. And he came back holding by the legs a live chicken because he could not but give Mike some hospitality. Now, that live chicken, well, that it's a big deal. It's like emptying your bank balance of two months' pay. It, and Mike had to take his live chicken by the feet with a thank you and actually took it and took it to one of their pastors and said do you know a family that could use this this chicken he gave it on but hospitality it you know it takes various different forms you may not have a live chicken up your sleeve but we've all got something and it just involves us looking beyond ourselves a little bit looking past our own comfort That's a big one for me. I am deeply committed to my own comfort. And I've discovered something over the years is that God is not deeply committed to my comfort. (laughs) And I suspect he will win. In fact, I pray he will win because therein lies my salvation. Now, where's Lynn Waddington gone? There is a specific, in verse 16 of chapter 12, Paul specifically talks about um, the lowly, not neglecting the lowly. And Lynn is going to have maximum five to tell us about something which is happening in our church, which I think is exciting. And we could do with a mic. Thank you. So, right, I, think go. S- I think some people thought that
1: there was going to be a video. There isn't. Just... I think some people thought that Rachel might be here. She isn't. And she really wanted to be. But she's actually doing what she does best. And I gave her permission to not be here. Because what she's actually doing is she faithfully, every week, turns up at both houses and wakes the guys up who said they might want to go to church. And every week, she's disappointed. Every week, she turns up. She does this all the time. And occasionally, one or two do go to church. And we've seen some amazing things and I think what I want to say about Rachel is, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking she is like the persistent widow. If you've ever met Rachel, she's passionate, she's bubbly, she'll tell you everything about everything. And she, But she's committed and she's persistent. She just keeps on knocking. She just does not give up. And I think it's amazing. And what I want to say is that um, it's that persistence that pays off. People who are broken and lowly and they've been hurt many, many, many times, and it takes a really long time for them to trust and to build that relationship where they might go to church. Of course, that's not in itself. you know going to church is not the end, is it, but it's a beginning, and it takes a long time to to, to kind of have a breakthrough. And what I would say about the people that we work with is that it, it requires persistence and consistency. You know, you kind of have to keep going. You might see two steps forward, back, two steps forward, three back, three forward, one back. And then you might get an amazing breakthrough, and you think that was worth it. And you might see someone come to Christ, which they there have been several in the houses who've recently become Christians. And it's great. And there's a guy called Pete and me, and we go for pizzas every other week. I mean, they don't even want the pizza. We've now become Friends, and he's pastoring them in effect and what i've discovered is that it's not just rachel or it's not just pete or me or Stuart, or any one person it's a whole body of people that have built up relationships with these guys over the years one of the guys are you telling me to stop I'm just, just checking i did say five minutes she's got to stop me uh, one of the guys tim um Became, he was from Henley, and he, his, he built a relationship with Roger, Roger from Hen, uh, Cole, Cole, that's it. And he speaks so highly of him. I think what I'm trying to say is that the actions we take individually may be small, but corporately we're building something. And what God said to me this morning was, it's like persistence and community is building a stage on which God's love plays out mm. And then we nice. step on the stage and we ask for a response to that love. And often we see the response we're looking
0: for, though it may take a really long time. Well, all I want to ask, Lynn, not everybody might be aware of what we're actually talking about. We're talking about something called edge housing. And Stuart and Lynn, uh, the church owns two houses in Oxford City. And they house what kind of people are there, in? Uh, 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 Men.
1: Uh, We don't have a house for any women at the moment. And they are men who have been homeless long or short term. And they may also have other issues that have arisen as a result or have preceded that. So some will have alcohol problems, some gambling, some... There'll be all kinds of things. Some of the same things that are actually represented in our lives, if we were truthful...
0: Yeah. And tell us who Rachel is. Rachel
1: is the amazing Rachel, is um, a a young woman who uh, gave up her... Anyway, she's the project worker who engages mostly with the guys. And her role is that she has to be the strict one that gets them to pay their rent and keep to the rules. But she also has that other role of encouraging them to develop relationships and trust with her and other members of the team who act as volunteers. Brilliant. Thank you. You can take that with you. Okay.
0: <laughs> and I know that Lynn and a lovely gentleman from another church, who the, who the, the guys call Pastor Pete, go in and do what they call Pastor Pete's Pizza Night, and eat pizza with the guys and talk about God. Uh, and slow, this isn't going to be a quick fix. These guys didn't get damaged overnight. And it's not a quick fix, but slowly, slowly, step by step. um, uh, Lives are being redeemed because people like Stuart and Lynn and Rachel did not neglect to associate with the lowly. Uh, They are always looking, this is the only plug I'm going to do, they are always looking for people to mentor the guys in the houses, to walk alongside them, encourage them, and show them the love and the life of God. If you're interested, please talk to Lynn. So living sacrifices, part of a body characterized by love, taking action. Great. What stops us then? What stops us living our lives as living sacrifices? And I thought about it and I thought there are things that happen which cause our hearts to shrink. So there isn't enough room in them for as much love as there could be. There isn't enough room for love flowing out into action. And I guess for all of us, the list will be different, but I felt like there were some common places uh, that we could look at. And I chose three initially, and if I've got time, I felt God speak to me about a fourth this morning. Fear. I think fear is a thing which causes our hearts to shrink. And I think if you look through the Bible and you do a bit of a study, you will always find this juxtaposition between fear and love. It's like the two things do not coexist. One pushes out the other. And um, I don't know about you, there's been a lot of shenanigans, haven't there, worldwide. We had Brexit, we had the American election, we've got politics in Europe in general, and we will all have our own particular view as to which side's right or wrong. But when I thought about it, I thought, you know, Everything that has gone on has been based on fear. Either the fear of what will happen economically, the fear of my personal standard of living being affected, or the fear of the stranger, the alien. Uh, Fear of the uneducated on one side and fear of the educated on the other. It's all about fear. And it feels like there's a climate of fear around... Western Europe and North America, that I have an experience in my long, long, long adult life. And I am worried. Uh, in, in this letter to the Romans, Paul says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. And I'm just aware, for myself, and it might just be me, that I found my heart shrinking with Fear as all of this was playing out. And I found myself asking questions I'd never asked before, like, how big is my tithe? Is it exactly 10% or is it a bit more? Could could we have a bit back? I mean, after all, Keith's not going to have a paycheck after November. And I found my generosity shrinking. And I found myself thinking about my pension and the economic... And I found all sorts of things going off in me which I really, really didn't like. And I didn't think were anything to do with God transforming me by renewing my mind. Uh, there's a story of a little boy who uh, kept, he had a, he had a his mum had flowers, a bunch of flowers, and he kept prising open the flower to make it open. And of course, he ended up with a pile of petals. And he said to his, his mama, Mama, Why is it that when God opens the flowers, they don't break? when I open the flowers, they do? And his mother looked at him and then he went, I know, God opens them from the inside out with love, doesn't he? You know, we can't prize open our own petals. But God can from the inside out. Fear. Um, Busyness. Oh gosh, I don't know about you when you're busy, but I just become downright rude. Too busy to talk to you, too busy to look at you, too busy to take your call, too busy to stop and listen to the Holy Spirit, too busy to engage with the stranger, too busy to be polite at the supermarket checkout, too busy to drive within the speed limit. Just too busy. Busyness. Can stop us being living sacrifices. You know what? If there's too much in a day, there's too much in a day. Because God made days to be 24 hours long. If we have got more in a day than one body can fit into 24 hours, we've got stuff in there God didn't intend to be in there. Because if He'd intended it, He'd have made the day longer. Um, if you want to talk to me about busyness and ask about bricks in a bucket, I'm not going to go into it now. but. I think that's one of the areas we need to be ruthless. The third one is prayerlessness. And it links to busyness and it links to fear. No time to talk to God or too scared to talk to God. Ali Bancroft is just going to come up and tell us something really quickly that happened to her quite recently in this area of prayer. I am coming in to land, everybody. Um,
2: yes, uh, I've been asking God about prayer for some very many months now. And um, I, a few months ago, I felt um, Jesus say to me, I I just want you to come and be with me. So, like, no agenda. So I, um, I sat down and I imagined that Jesus was sitting in a chair and thought, well, here we are. <laughs> And so over a process of uh, several days and weeks, um, that was just a very profound thing to do because it meant that I was not asking him to be with me, but I was being with him. And um, on one particular morning, um, we were sitting there chatting, and uh, I felt him say, I just want you to come with me. And I, I don't know if this was a vision or quite what it was, but... We went up a tower, and the tower opened up into a massive, round living room, a bit like an air traffic control tower, windows all the way around and it was um, It was like a lounge like like it was like home, and our Father was there, um, Jesus was there, the Holy Spirit was there, and I can tell you it was a place of welcome and belonging and there are windows all the way around this room um, and a great deal of excitement in the room it felt like i was at i was at home with my family and i was part of the family business like they were they were up to something father son and holy spirit were up to something and so it was just amazing and uh they said come over here to this window we're praying, well actually it was that side, we are praying for that nation over there. Come and join with us. So I thought, oh my gosh, I know nothing about that nation. So I just started praying. Um, and so, but there was a sense of joining in, you know, there are already prayers going on in heaven, but there was a sense of being part of the family and part of the family business and joining in with the prayers that were going on in heaven. And I, it was so exciting. And then I felt God say, To me, afterwards, I want you to be praying for the nations with us, praying for borders, praying for boundaries.
0: Keep the keep the mic. Great. Uh, I know Alison has a real heart's prayer. She would she would love to see a growing group of intercessors. If you want to talk to her later, do that. The fourth thing I felt this morning, I'm not going to just um, expand it. Maybe for specific people, was that disappointment something which can prevent us living as living sacrifices. So having said all of that then, what we should do, what gets in the way, how do we get the power to live as living sacrifices? The clues in the verse, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to live as living. That's how we get the power, by the mercies of God. There's a great verse in 2 Corinthians which says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That just about covers the bases. There is nothing that's left out that God God can enable us to do what he's asking us to do. We had a word at the um, big celebration, prophetic word about unstopping wells. And Lorraine Thomas, some of you know Lorraine Thomas, uh, had a prophetic word about... Water being stagnant in a a pond and water needing to flow in and out, in and out, in and out. If we're to show love in action, if we're to be living sacrifices, we need the life flow of God coming in and we need to give it out. In and out. We like the out sometimes, but not the in. Sometimes we like the in, but not the out. It's got to flow. It's got to be both. And I started to look at what did Jesus do? When he was busy, tired, or afraid. Because he was all of those things. And what he did was he got with his father. In Luke it says, "...the news about Jesus spread all the more, and great crowds came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. Yet he frequently withdrew to the wilderness to pray." Do you know that he hadn't healed everybody before he went off to the wilderness? And he hadn't spoken to everybody and he hadn't solved everybody's problems. But he, was, he knew where he needed to go when he was tired and too busy and afraid. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we get the most profound example of Jesus with his father saying, if there's another way, please, if there's another way. But he, did, he went God's way. He knew where to go when he was, when things were in danger of stopping the life flow. So, love in action is our true worship. It has practical implications for the whole of our lives, the whole of our time on the earth. And it's God that enables us to do it. So, some questions maybe. Do we need to climb on the altar this morning? for the first time because we've never climbed on before? Do we need to climb on because we keep getting off? Do we need to put specific bits of our lives on the altar? Our house keys, our diaries, our electronic devices, our wallets, our family relationships. God has asked me in my life to lay down relationships which are just wrong and he wanted to end and that hurt a lot but the thing that hurts more oh <laughs> i might get this is when he asks me to lay down the relationships that are right and god-given but he wants me to know they're not mine to grab onto. when he wants me to let my family go and live in africa and serve him. They have to go on the altar. There was once a little boy in a sweet shop and the sweet owner let him get a handful of sweets out of whichever jar he wanted once a week. And one day he walked in and said to the sweet shop owner, you give me a handful today please. Because he'd worked out that the sweet shop owner has a much bigger hand. We can grab with our own little hands or we can say, God, you've got a much bigger hand. Why don't you give me back what you choose? And I felt like there's an altar space this morning. Maybe now it would be good to just come with whatever God has spoken to you about and do some business with him. Because he loves you and he will enable you. And whatever you open your tiny hand and put down, he will give you back more with his great big hand.